In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. And I'm crying and he's crying and I'm just saying, God, I, I don't know what I've brought into my house. I don't know what kind of baggage. I am not equipped to help this, this little boy. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. From Men in the Arena, it's Equipping Men in 10. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, your host for today's show. Today is not an interview episode. It's not an Equipping in 10. It's a hybrid type of interview that we've been doing through the summer with our blog guest blog writers and i'm really excited about today this guy has was not only one of the greatest students to ever come through my youth ministry but he's also the nas- youngest national team captain on our team uh, you're gonna love what he has to say and he's a uh, wise beyond his years you're gonna really really enjoy our podcast interview about fathering the fatherless Four reasons changing others changes you. Guys, hey, before we get into our interview with Sam, thanks for making the Men in the Arena podcast Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. So Sam Roberts is a diesel mechanic, worship leader, and outdoorsman. He loves to serve in his church. He loves camping, fishing, hunting. His unwavering (laughs) faith journey started as a young child, has been guided by many great men whom he's thankful for. His single sentence testimony is, quote, God is always faithful, end of quote. Sam, as I shared, is the youngest Mandarina national team captain at 29 years old. He lives in Baker City, Oregon with his beautiful wife of nine years, Bethany, five-year-old daughter, Avery, two-year-old son, Levi. Sam, it's a great to have you on the show, man. How you doing? Good. feel like uh, I see you here again on, on, on different Zoom calls, and uh, you were at our banquet this year, so yep. i got to speak briefly to you. So hopefully we can get out to Baker City one of these days and hang out. Yeah. So, hey, hey, buddy, tell tell these guys a little bit more about you, what makes you tick, uh, a little bit more about your journey, just so they can uh, have a better context about who you are. Yeah, so I guess I'm kind of the typical guy who was raised in church. Um, I grew up both parents, a sister, um, and I grew up spending more nights um, at church doing things at church than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was churchmanship was kind of something that was grown into me. Um, I mean, Sunday mornings, empty and trash, walking up the building uh, with my dad who did janitorial there. My mom worked at the church. She's a pastor now. Um, so with that, I was just, I was really grown up in the church. Um, 
And I was introduced to a lot of people who helped guide and mentor me in that. And so my testimony in a way is, is boring because I didn't have any of these crap the bed moments, mm-hmm. but it's also a testimony of how faithful God is, is when we're faithful to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just seen that time and, and again in my life. Um, so I'm grateful that, um, that I was raised that way. I was definitely fortunate to have godly parents guiding me and, and people around me. Um, met my wife uh, while serving at church at summer camp. Um, and she had a bunch of kids at camp and I did too. And it, we hit it off from there. Um, that's why I tell guys, it's always good if you're a young guy and you're wanting to serve the church, serve at summer camp. It's not just for teens. You'll that's pick up. All some, the, that's where all the cute girls are. <laughs> you'll meet some godly women. <laughs> that is it. Well, you know, it's funny. I got to tell you, because thinking of your testimony, Sam, because I remember in high school, you wrestled with that a little bit, you know, and I remember oh, yeah. my son Colton uh, shared his testimony. He's a young life leader as well as you are. He's a wildlife leader. And he shared his testimony. He goes, I just didn't have much to say, dad. And I said, you know what? I thought of you, Sam. And I told him, I said, you know what? That's the greatest testimony you can ever have. You're 24 years old. You're a college football athlete who had more consecutive starts than anybody in the school history. You're a virgin. I go, dude, that's the greatest testimony you could ever offer. So don't, don't shrink back from that. Be proud of that. And so, you know, I say, well done, Sam. I remember pulling up to Dayton high school and you were in high school and you were waiting for me at the front of the school. I always thought that you were the only guy that ever did that. So I thought this guy, you know, I knew that you're a special guy and it's been fun to watch your journey. When do you turn 30? November 30th. So, okay. I knew you're still, cause you're a year behind my oldest on November 30th. You are the oldest 29 year old I think I've ever met. <laughs> and I mean that as a compliment because you just have always done it right. You've been in ministry since you were in middle school. I mean, you've just always done it right. And so I want to go back 10 years. So the men in the arena had just launched under the name, the great hunt for God. Yep. You were 19 years old. You got involved with Dale Culver and Dale's group. And actually, you and Dale are actually co-captains of a real strong and powerful national team now. So you and Dale are very, very close. And you had an an interesting moment at 19. I know the study was on Job 29, the nine traits of manhood from that chapter. And one of those is father to the fatherless. Will you tell us about that moment? Yeah, so I was 19. um, I... I think I was engaged. It might've been right before I was engaged. Um, when I started this men in the arena group with Dale. Okay. Um, so it was a bunch of guys meeting down in Chemeketa and I mean, I was the youngest by far. So I had very little to say. Um, but I knew I'm like, Hey, there's a lot of guys in here. I can pick some stuff up. I've always mm-hmm. been of the mindset, like don't make your own mistakes, learn from other people's mistakes and don't do that crap absolutely like like why suffer so i'm just listening um mostly i mean spoke very little and uh yeah this chapter came up and for some reason i mean i couldn't even remember the chapter about it until you say that what it was just this this father the fatherless that we're called to do this and that just stuck with me obviously i don't have kids i'm not i'm not even married at this point um very involved in middle school ministry um but that's, it just stuck with me, this notion of fathering the fatherless. And at 19, you can't really put context to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, that really did stick with me. And I continued um, volunteering and leading various middle school ministries when we moved out to Baker. Um, 
I became the wildlife director. Um, volunteer position, not as glamorous as it sounds. Every title sounds great. But yeah. what we had is we had an amazing ministry to these kids who don't go to church, that we're, we're really shooting for kids who don't go to church. And it was run by all these volunteers. And uh, we had an amazing ministry reaching these kids. And, and I think through that time, we've been in Baker City um, well, coming up on nine years now, mm. eight years. Mm. Um, and that's always come with me. And it was kind of one night at camp where I it finally kind of clicked because I had a cabin of 10 boys. And uh, I'd seen patterns when you live with middle school boys. But this year was really profound because it started things started clicking with me. And I realized eight out of 10 of them didn't have a solid relationship with their dad. Mm. And, and these weren't fringe kids. These weren't at-risk teens. Um, they didn't grow up in, in poverty. These were average middle-class, upper-middle-class kids. But yeah, so I, I started seeing things in the pool, like these kids who uh, didn't have dads, they didn't know how to fight fair. They were, they're the ones who would come up and put and choke you. <laughs> they're the ones who kick you in the crotch. And I just, these things started adding up and I'm realizing, man, these kids, they need a father. They don't have it. Um, and that's where this fathering mm. the fatherless really started to kind of like identify itself in my life. And I could start putting some context to it. And it really, really kind of kicked into gear once I had a kid. You know, that's interesting, Sam, because I left youth ministry and started working with men. And one of the catalysts for that was realizing that the biggest problem in my youth ministry was dads that weren't engaged. And that, that was what, that was the impetus that led me to uh, launching this ministry because you're absolutely right. Yeah. You can be a Christian dad and totally disengage your kids. Uh, You know, it's not good enough just to be physically present. There's so much more to it. And so, so talk about your experience. You had a later experience uh, with an organization called Safe Families for Children. How did that organization change you? What happened? So Beth and I, we'd, we'd been talking off and on for a while about, um, man, do we want to get involved with the foster system? Um, and, and we wanted to help these kids. We wanted to give them a safe home. We wanted to be bring Jesus into their lives. But at the same time, I mean, we just weren't sure about fostering and, and letting the state get into our home because we're trying to protect our kids and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're praying about this and this conversation keeps coming up. And then um, Safe Families, this ministry kind of pops up on the radar at a church board meeting I was at. And it is basically the Christian model of hospitality radical hospitality mm. where you're risking what you have to be to, to to change the life of somebody else and bring mm-hmm. them into your home and show mm-hmm. jesus and the whole goal is to intervene in these families before the state has to get in and that really that jumped at me i'm like man if we can because the church the state it, the, the programs that the state have are absolutely necessary but man it is no substitution for what the church should be doing mm-hmm it children are not the government's responsibility. It's the Christian's responsibility. It's the church's yeah, responsibility. Sure. So this ministry that, Hey, we're going to try to get these kids before they fall off this waterfall. We're going to, we're going to jump in the river and start trying to throw kids back onto the bank is the imagery they use. And we're like, mm. that's for us. Let's, let's, let's do this. Um, so we got involved and it's totally on our terms. Um, and there's a whole team of support from churches 
There's a team that, that gets involved with the parents or the guardians. There's a team that meets with the kids and provides them resources while they're living in our house. So we just get to surround these people with godly people, the whole family, mm -hmm. the children and the parents and the grandparents, and just kind of show them what the love of Jesus is in a radical way. That's so cool, man. Well, you know, Dale, obviously, you know, Dale has adopted a, a son. And then we had a 23-year-old guy live at our house for a year who uh, his dad had gone to jail for basically raping him consistently over 10 years. But but this, these things are so important. There's so many hurting children out there. And we really need to have guys who are willing to, what you said, showing hospitality. That word hospitality is the word phylloxenia, and it means to love strangers. And so we think hospitality is inviting your buddies over after church. That has nothing to do with that. It, it's everything to do with loving strangers. So when you say that you, radical hospitality, that's absolutely right. So I want to I want to go to something you wrote in your blog, Sam, and I thought it was really powerful. You said, "quote Notice how James one twenty seven sums up the entire function of religion into three actions: religion." And you quote James one twenty seven: "Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this." to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So let's, let's do this, Sam, let's unpack. You've learned four things through this uh, fostering children that it ha has impacted you deeply. Let's, let's talk about those things. The first lesson you said, fathering the fatherless is a mandate. Now, I mean, I think that would, some guys listen, might go, whoa, 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 you know, <laughs> put the skids on brakes. So unpack that for us. Yeah, I mean, so James, um, he, he sums it up there. And I've never heard a sermon preached on this because it would really threaten the church model. And yeah. I don't want people to hear me wrong and say, organize religion. Brah, we yeah. don't need it. That's not what I'm saying. But what, what James is saying is the scope of religion is very small. So it doesn't matter if you serve the church. It doesn't like, like you should be serving the church. But if you all you do is pass the offering plate and you're an usher. If all you do is run is your security at your church. If all you do is run the coffee shop at your church and those kind of things, you're not meeting what James sees as pure undefiled religion. Mm. It, serving the church is not good enough for a Christian man. Mm. You have to, our mission, that doesn't fulfill the great commission, does it? No. Like the great commission is not collect offering at church and, and sit there nicely and dressed well. It, it, it is visit the orphans and widows in their affliction. You're getting, you're, you're going to them in their bad moments, in their affliction. Um, so that, that kind of spurred me on. I'm like, well, shoot, that, that really simplifies things. Like, yeah, it does. I mean, forget all the, the, the trappings and all the fancy things we get hung up on, the, the worship, the, the good sermons, uh, you know, should we do service at this time, that time, all the things. It's like, let's keep it simple, guys. Mm. Visit people in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. So that's a call to holiness and a call to outreach to the lost, to the, to the less fortunate it's two things to do. It, it just simplifies it. Right. Well, and that's the funny part, Sam. I, I just learned this about a year ago. The church was the church exploded around the Mediterranean because of 
the gift of hospital, not the gift, it's not a gift, but because of biblical hospitality, because people were willing to take in strangers, strange evangelists, pastors, teachers, because they didn't have a Motel 6 on every corner, didn't have a church on every corner. The church was being developed and formed. And this is a, I think this, this hospitality is a massive, that's what James is talking about right here, right? And, you know, sidebar, Martin Luther hated the book of James. When Martin Luther's Martin Luther had his own Bible translation, and his he had James as the last book of the Bible. He hated the book of James because he believed in solo fide, you know, faith alone. But mm-hmm. but faith faith is you know we're saved by faith alone, but our faith doesn't stand alone. And this no. is the problem, right? Like we have too many good Christian men who are worthless to the kingdom of God. They're in the they're in the bleachers. The, yeah, they're just they're sitting in the Sam Roberts pews. calling it as it is. They're, they're sitting it. in the per- church pews, not in people's affliction. And so yeah. when you put that with uh, Matthew 18, five, whoever receives one ch- such child in my name receives me. So we have two simple mandates and we have Jesus saying, you want to receive me, receive a child. Well, what's interesting, Sam, is is in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about you know, uh, get away from me. I never knew you. And they said, oh, 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 we went to church. We did mm-hmm. all these cool things. And he said, but hold on a second. I was in prison. You didn't visit me. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was a stranger. You did not welcome me in. And I looked, I looked at that verse and I realized, oh my, everything here is about hospitality. It's, yep. it's, it's loving strangers. It's picking up the hitchhiker. It's, you know, buying a Big Mac for the guy holding the cardboard sign, whatever it may be. And we often think, well, I'm not going to help that person. Well, have you ever thought that maybe it's not about that person? Yeah. Like, maybe it's it, about you. If you're in this <laughs> moment of your life and I hear people say this all the time, man, I just need more Jesus in my life right now. I, 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 I'm, I'm in a dry spell or I, I'm feeling spiritually empty or weak. Yeah. It's like, well, okay. So what you're saying is you want more Jesus. Matthew 18, five receive one such child in my name and you will receive me. So that right there impacted me when we had our first, like, I know that's true. I know that verse is true. Yes. You receive a child, you will receive Jesus in your life. He will make himself present because our first time we had kids, I should tell people, like, I am so unqualified to do this. I turned wrenches. Like I'm a diesel mechanic. I'm a, I'm a farmer, a blueberry farmer. I mean, I have... My wife is the educated one. I, I have zero college education. I have nothing in child development or, or social studies or, or anything. But, but if you're willing, God, God equips you. And, in our, and I know Matthew 18, 5 is, is true because when we had our first set of kids come in, we got told, hey, there's this mom, single mom. Um, she's been, it, this is December, oh gosh, January. When we get these kids, she's been living in a van all winter with twins and a six-year-old. And this is the Eastern Oregon winters. I mean, it is cold, highs of 20. And this gal has been living in her van with three children. Um, so I, I like my kids, my little kids. Like, I'm not a huge fan of little kids, but I'm like, okay, this is what we signed up for. Yeah, totally. Rock and roll. And we meet these, this family at 930 at night in the McDonald's parking lot. And I, I, I was scared because I'm seeing these kids faces and they're just glazed over. They're not looking at you. Um, we started talking with one of the, 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 the ministry leads and we're like, there might be some mental 
issues here with these kids. I mean, they've been growing, they've lived in a van. They have no medical history, really extreme generational poverty. Um, so they're like, keep an eye on this. Let us know if you need help. And we're like, okay. So we load them all into our van and we go home. And uh, I, growing up in the church, I hadn't had that moment before in my life where I needed to cry out to God for help mm-hmm. because I was in that moment where I knew I am hosed, that I'm inequipped. I am, I am not the man for this until when I was holding this little boy, he's two years old and he's crying for his dad and it broke my heart there. And I, I was on my knees crying because this, this, this kid was crying for his dad, but his dad was a pedophile. Mm-hmm. So this kid is crying for one of the the worst people who could be around him right now, because that's all he knew. And in that moment where I found myself, I'm holding this kid at midnight. And I'm crying and he's crying. And I'm just saying, God, I, I don't know what I've brought into my house. I don't know what kind of baggage I had not equipped to help this, this little boy, but, you are so you make this happen and, and give me the strength to make the right decisions and to and to be what this little boy and this little girl needs and and he did like mm. i found there was moments i wanted to pull my hair out but i found patience and we found such satisfaction seeing these kids grow from being malnourished barely able to walk across the living room to peeling out in our backyard kicking balls. I mean, we saw coordination, we saw motor skills, we saw health, they started growing. Um, it was amazing. And that's when, man, I, I received these children. Jesus showed up in our house Mm -hmm. in unimaginable ways. Our daughter embraced these kids and she was excited when they went back home to mom. She, she got the idea of what we were doing, my four-year-old. Mm. And man, that brought my wife and I together because we're up at night at our wits end praying with each other like we hadn't done before. Um, man, you take a child in, Jesus shows up in your life. Well, it, that, that's lesson two for you, right? <clears throat> and I resonate with lesson two because one of my life mottos is you don't have to be the best. You just have to outlast the rest. And your life lesson here is, you don't have to be the best, just willing. I want to read Do something. I, I want to read a quote out of your blog because I thought it was powerful. You already shared it, but I want to read it. You said, I was the first safe man to hold him and it wrecked me. That was the first time in my life I cried out to God for help and I learned what it means to find refuge in him. And by God's strength only, my pregnant wife and I took care of those three kids and our own daughter for eight weeks while both working full-time jobs. It was the largest faith-growing time in my life. And I would probably say for your four-year-old as well to watch this whole thing unfold, you know, that that was a, that was a massive thing for her. And so that's a, that's a, gosh, that's just awesome, man. That's just a, to realize you're the first safe person to ever hold a human and it's not even your human. So that's powerful. Yeah. So, so let's talk about uh, lesson number three. Uh, you talked, and this kind of goes with lesson two, but I want you to unpack it for us. You lesson three that you learned was the Lord's refuge is powerful. Explain that. So, with these kids coming in, there's obvious risk. Like I'm trying to raise my daughter this one way, 
and there's risk of what what's she going to learn what's the baggage coming in there's risk of like i don't know how to handle an a physically abused four-year-old so there's that i had to take refuge in the lord and rely on the lord's strength to get this done because i'm not equipped and and me on my own i'm not going to be able i didn't put like the behavioral things that's not in my blog but it's definitely a concern of ours because man what what's my daughter going to learn from these strangers that we're bringing in Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's part of that radical hospitality you're risking something so part of the risk is my kids yeah for sure and i have to trust god that man god is one going to protect the safe the safety of my child God's going to protect the safety of my wife and that God is going to give us the strength to do something we have never done before. Because mm-hmm. in those moments, failure is an option. Oh, totally. I mean, th- this, this could go really bad. Um, but you have to trust God. You've called me to this. You've mandated that I intervene as a Christian man, that I intervene in children's lives and that I meet them in their garbage, in their worst moments. So if you're calling me to that, I have to trust that your refuge will keep me safe. Um, if you don't trust that, it, it's not going to work out. If you try doing this on your strength, man, I cannot give these children what they need just because I'm Sam Roberts, because I've been to church, because I know some scripture that I can throw out real quick and look impressive. Well, you know, it's funny, Sam, you said earlier, you have nothing to offer. You have no education. And it's funny. I have never even thought of that with you because you're, you're wise beyond your years. God has given you a platform as a a elder in your church and a worship leader in your church. In fact, we're going to post a worship. We're going to post a video of you as worship leader. We're going to put it on the blog. Instead of me having the video, we're going to put you on there because it's a powerful eight minute video of you really confronting the men of your church in a, in a ministry setting. It's really, really powerful. So, you know, God equips those he calls. And so you may not have a college education, but honestly, all that means is you're in debt and you've been inundated <laughs> with a critical race theory. So, well, I mean, it, I'm and, not, a... <laughs> and, I, and I only say that because I have, I've encountered people at our church and our community when they ask us about safe families, they're like, Oh man, I don't have any training and yeah. and behavioral kids behavior. I don't even know how you say that training. But I'm like, dude, guys, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Take refuge in the Lord and he'll make it happen. Well, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, maybe my favorite Psalm verse in the Psalms is Psalm 61 too. lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And that's what you're saying, right? You're saying, hey, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I don't have what it takes, but God, in your supernatural ability lead me to you as my refuge you know i love another verse uh in first peter chapter five verse six it says cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you and then verse seven says humble yourselves under the mighty hand of god and he will lift you up in due time and it's a picture of god cupping his children in his hands covering and lifting and so god this is the hard part sam is that we don't understand that until we're forced to Yeah. I mean, how can you understand what the refuge of the Lord is unless you put yourself in a position where you need it? Well, and the funny part to me in this story is I'm thinking you're the refuge. I mean, I'm (laughs) thinking you're the refuge. You're the one, you know, you've got these, you and Bethany have these little children. You're the refuge. But even when we, and this is a, a probably a cool teaching point, even when we decide to be the refuge, we need refuge more than ever. Yeah. 
So because Absolutely. we're often in over our heads, right? So there's a step of faith there. So that's really yeah. cool, man. And then, and here's the other thing. How old were you at the time? That this midnight deal with these three children. How old were you? So Avery, ooh, 26, 27. Oh yeah, you were old. 27. You're an old guy. Yeah. So hey, I want to read one more quote from your blog that will go out, I think, in mid-July. And the lesson number four. So the last thing I want to read is this. You said, quote, as a man, your influence is the most powerful weapon you have. Your influence in the life of a child or teen will set them on a course for victory or destruction. How will you use your influence? Are you ready to get out of the stands and change the lives around you? That is such a great quote. Lesson four, it doesn't take much time. Talk yeah. to me. So we had those three kids, the twins and their older sister. We had them for eight weeks, maybe a bit more. It, honestly, a blur. My wife was very pregnant, expecting our second child. We're working full time. Uh, our church came around us and supported us for the daycare and stuff. Um, so that's an extreme case, right, of, of time. That needed a lot of time. Those kids needed a lot of time. But we've had other kids come through our home where it was just a weekend. And some people might be going, holy crap, I got to live with a strange kid for a weekend. Um, but it was a weekend. Grandma needed a break. And this these the, the kids we've done this, they've been great kids. They don't have it. it grandma is raising their kids because dad bailed, mm-hmm. mom bailed. But let's focus on dad bailed. Um, so grandma's now the parent and she needs a break. So we took this kid. We take these kids for a weekend. Grandma gets a break. They live with us. We take them to church. We should introduce them to people. They get involved in a youth group and then we might not never see him again, but it's that quick. It's, it's 24 hours. Sometimes it's, uh, taking kids fishing. I know over in McMinnville's, uh, mm-hmm. see you later. How about you volunteer to take a kid fishing? Like how many guys on this podcast like fishing and can teach a kid to fish for three hours. And in that moment, that kid is probably not going to have a dad. Statistically yeah. speaking, he is not going to have a dad. And for three hours, you get to be a, a, a Christian man and teach him man things. When Absolutely. He's, when, if he's squirreling around and can't focus, you're like, hey, hey, let's focus on fishing. We're fishing. Let's focus on things. You get to teach him a little bit of discipline for three hours, and that's all it takes. But in that time, you could be the first man who took the time to teach him something. You might be the first man he ever meets. Yeah. I mean, think about that for a second. Well, so you, so Sam, you are working with Dale Culver and you guys are co-leaders on a national, one of our national teams. And that team is uh, coming to an end for the summer. Yeah. Tell us about that team in the fall. Tell us what you're going to be doing. Tell us when you guys meet. So we meet Wednesdays at 6 a.m. Pacific. Um, We got guys mostly from Washington or Oregon, a couple from Washington. One guy hopped in last week from New York. Um, we are a great group of guys. Um, Dale and I have done, this might be our fourth team. Um, not to say the other groups of guys weren't awesome, but this group, it, I, I'm going to brag a little bit. This is, a, this is a special group. We've got some great guys who are honest. They're open. And there's a lot of wisdom that gets shared on this group every morning. For me, this, this group, Wednesday mornings, is a real shot in the arm that keeps me focused on the things of God, being a man in leadership, and gets me through the rest of the week. 
Um, and right now we are in the summit. We stopped right in the middle of the summit. We'll pick it up there and keep going on with the rest of the books. So that's book three. Um, and there's plenty of room. If, wow. If, yeah. You guys have plenty of room. Now, wow. New York. That's 3 a.m. for him. Yeah, apparently that, I, what that's, a stud. that's his problem. Not what mine. a stud. <laughs> well, yeah, you guys have a real strong group and, and P Dale's shaking his head. It's 3 a.m. If it's 6 a.m., 6 a.m. If you have a. Forward. Oh, oh, my, my bad. Dale, you're right, honey. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say to a guy who says, you know what? I don't want to get involved in a virtual team. I think face-to-face eye-to-eye is better because, you know, guys won't be authentic on a camera. We won't be as close to the guys, you know, via video from New York to Oregon. What would you say to a guy that says that the, these virtual teams are less than prove it? Like, what do you have going right now? That's better. Yeah. I, Sam I, Roberts. I love it. <laughs> Men's ministry isn't happening in your church at this level. Yeah. So why dog on something you don't even have right now? Give it a shot. Um, you can say, uh, well, the virtual and the technology, you can bag on all that stuff. And for all the problems, social media and virtual stuff brings, it doesn't bring it to this. What this brings is a bunch of guys who you will never meet otherwise. And so I think part of the reason these virtual teams bring value and they work so well is because with it, it brings a bit of detachment mm -hmm. because you can share your dirt and you're not going to run into that person at the grocery store and go, Oh, oh, they know what I, they know what I said, Yeah. but you're going to see them every week and they're going to hold you accountable. So if you're worried about that, that like, Oh, what if these, I have to see this person. Well, you're not, but you get, it's still a good place to meet great men who struggle like you do. And for some reason they do work better, believe it or not. Um, I'm hearing over and over again, that guys are more open and vulnerable in the virtual teams than face to face because of what you just said, that guys are sharing stuff they, they've never seen shared in uh, local face-to-face -face teams. Yeah, and I think part of it is it's the same reason why everybody's a keyboard warrior. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. It's easy to argue and be mean when you can't see somebody. That's not what happens, but it, there's, a, there's a level of detachment that brings security in that. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's, what, that's why it works. And uh, I have to agree, this... This group's been awesome. Um, I'm enjoying the virtual things. I lead a I lead a in-person group Sunday mornings at my church also, and that one's great. It's much smaller though um, than our virtual team. It's about five or six guys on average, um, and I think in that small of a group, we all know each other well. Um, that works too, um, but it's just not happening. I mean, I'm gonna bet your church if you're not in a men's ministry right now. If you go to your pastor and say, hey, what do we have for men's groups? It's going to be a zero. Crickets. Yeah. So, so Sam, so one of the things that guys also don't realize that we bring the tables, we bring Telegram to the table. Can you yep. talk to us about Telegram? So I was a little annoyed that I had to download another app at first. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't like apps and all yeah. the time. Now I got to set notifications and stuff. I'm like, why can't we just use text messages? So I was a skeptic. It works really well because there's no like goofy formatting. There's no delays. There's no lag. Um, it, you don't get three of them duplicates. It works super smooth. And what it does, for some reason, again, I don't know why it works. We've tried this with text messages. It doesn't happen. With Telegram, it does. 
we are connected all week. Yeah. When a guy is struggling with something. He throws it on our thread and we're praying for him. We know where he's at. We're checking in with guys throughout the week, um, sharing successes, sharing our victories, sharing our struggles throughout the week. So we meet Wednesdays and that's when we see each other and we talk in person per se. Um, but that through that telegram app, it just works across your iOS, your Android, whatever phone you have, it works flawlessly and you stay connected all week. Yeah. It's kind of like, for those you don't know, it's like Facebook messenger, but a lot of our guys don't use Facebook. And so it's a way to have a real quality app and great way to communicate throughout the week without yep, it works really being well. on, let's say social media. So, so guys, you can sign up by that, by just going to our homepage of our website, manarena.org. Click the join our program button and you can search for the team you want to be on. If you want to be on Dale and Sam's team, and if you want to be, they're the only morning team. Uh, you can click on that and, and get involved there and you will have a great time and, and you will thank us for it. And so Sam, thanks so much for coming on the uh, call today, man. I mean, I've told you this before, but I'm proud of you and the man you become and, and the testimony that you bear witness of it's inspiring. So thank you. Thanks, Jim. Hey guys, let's get our boots on the ground. Go click that button. Join the program. It's going to cost you 15 bucks a book. Wah, wah, wah. Go do it. I know guys that are charging a hundred bucks a month to sit at their feet in their zoom groups. And we're saying 15 bucks a book for a life change because guys, listen, it's not about us. It's about you being the hero in God's story. When a man gets it, everyone wins. When you guys go to our website, make sure you get my free download of the book. Tell them what great fathers tell their sons and daughters until next time. Feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. Hold a child. And be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.